The month of February usually brings movies about love, romance, and the pursuit of all things Valentine's. In 2005, we got a story about demons, Satan, and the eternal battle between heaven and hell. Maybe not first date fair, but no need to fear because we're here to tell you that Constantine is not that bad. Welcome, welcome, one and all, to It's Not That Bad, the podcast that looks for A grades in B movies. And we, dare I say today, we have a super movie for you because we are dealing with 2005's Constantine. And here to join me for the first time ever on It's Not That Bad, future podcaster Carson Alcombe. Carson, welcome to the show. How you doing, man? Oh, thanks so much for having me, Jason. I'm doing really well. I'm really excited for this. This is uh, this is an underrated one, and uh, it's going to be good. I'm really excited to dive in. So when we were preparing to bring you on to the show, and you mentioned this film, what is it about Constantine that made you want to defend it? I think it's just this really underrated, under-talked about, great, great film. And honestly, I look at from the cast to the direction to the cinematography. And I just, I think with the era this film was released, it didn't do as well as it should have. And I think that's what makes it this nice hidden gem nowadays. I'll be honest. This was a first watch for me. And considering how much of a geek I am, I'm actually surprised it's a first watch for me. So you're getting a very raw take on this film as we get into it. But before we do, before we go down Keanu Reeves Road, it is time to take this DC superhero film and trailerize it. Warning. The Surgeon General has decreed that smoking is hazardous to your health. They've also decreed that watching Constantine is hazardous to you trying to quit smoking. Keanu Reeves stars as John Constantine, a man who has one foot in hell and the other foot in the ashtray. He's trying to stop the forces of hell from taking over the world by brooding, speaking Latin, and generally acting like every kid who just got out of a Chrome Craft double feature. It's like John Wick without the action, beard, or coolness, or even a dog. It's a cautionary tale about what happens when a cool character meets a lukewarm script. Keanu Reeves' Constantine, rated R for Roll Tobacco. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to put this out there. I used to smoke. I went cold turkey like probably about 15 years ago. Watching this movie, I really do not miss smoking. Like I, I get that's the character. I do. But holy crap, did he smoke a lot of smokes unreal amount and i'm surprised to hear that this didn't make you want to keep smoking you mean when he coughed up blood that wasn't just a drive to to want to keep going just chain smoking yeah well you know i mean there's enough smoke in the air as it is so i guess i'm kind of there as well so it almost seems like the the perfectly fitted movie for this time but uh perfect time oh dear god oh dear god and i do hope they get you know deal with the wildfires up north but holy crap there's a lot of smoke in the air but let's get into 
to who is in this film. This movie stars Keanu Reeves, Rachel Weisz, Shia LaBeouf, Jamon Honsu, Tilda Swinton, Bush frontman Gavin Rossdale, Max Baker, Pruitt Taylor Vince, and Peter Stormare. However, there is an almost starring in this one. The film is actually directed by Francis Lawrence, but it was almost directed by Tarsim Singh. Now, people will probably recognize his name from the movie The Cell, but he also directed R.E.M.'s Losing My Religion. But when he was slated to direct this film, slated to star as Constantine was Nicolas Cage. And I'm real. Part of me wants to see that and part of me doesn't. Oh, I totally felt that because I was even taking a look at just some of the insights and how this production came to be. And seeing that Nick Cage was one of the names on there was just bizarre to me. Like I can get where they were going for and that that vibe that Nick Cage fits into in terms of this demonic kind of darker style. And I mean, Nick Cage has a wide variety of films. And I mean, I just think it's funny to think that in this era, he was up for Constantine and Superman, which is just Nuts to think. And I, okay, first of all, I cannot, even though I've seen uh, The Death of Superman Lives, uh, the documentary about the the failure to launch Nick Cage Superman film, I, I never want to picture Nicolas Cage as Superman. Like, ever. Like, freaking no. ever. It was fine with him doing, like, if I remember correctly, it was him doing the Superman voice in the Lego movie. But that's about it. Um, however, that being said, I actually wouldn't... I could see him as Constantine in a way, so long as he was held in. But that being said, Tarsum Singh apparently went out and said the movie that he wanted to do, he could not do with Nick Cage as John Constantine. So you can only imagine what that movie would have looked like had they actually worked together. That being said, this is Francis Lawrence's cinematic directorial debut prior to this he had done like one tv movie but he had also directed a number of music videos for for acts like bad religion on vogue wyclef jean aerosmith destiny's child like we're talking like a cavalcade of some of the top musicians at the time he's also gone on to direct i am legend and red sparrow but you can kind of see those those music video visuals throughout the whole thing it's such this diverse color palette he uses. Because when you think of, of I want to say, even when you look into future movies, like the Hunger Games he was associated and done, where it's like these very dark, dark tones. I almost want to picture him as the opposite of like a Wes Anderson, where he just always goes for these interesting dark tones. But when you consider like 2005 and that era of music video and some of the acts that he was working with, it makes sense for him to be called up to direct some of these types of films. Now, also, that being said, almost starring as Constantine, under consideration were, and I can't believe I'm saying this, Mel Gibson and Kevin Spacey. <laughs> like, like, those, are, those are some choices. That's what <laughs> I'll say to that. Choices might be the best word to... like. I, I, I honestly cannot picture either of those two as John Constantine. Maybe other roles in this film, 
but not as John Constantine. Yeah, like I feel like both of them would fit more suitable to to like Satan and Lucifer. And I mean, we'll get into Peter Stormare's brilliant portrayal, in my opinion, a little later. But no way that they could pull off a John Constantine, even just looking at that era of 2005. Like I can't even picture it then, let alone if it were to be done now. Yeah. I mean, you know, just knowing, and I'm going to get into why, uh, as much as I like Keanu, I just don't like him in this role, but I'm going to get to that in a little bit later, but let's get through some of the awards that this film was actually nominated for. At the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films in 2006, the movie was a nominee for Best Horror Film. It lost to The Exorcism of Emily Rose. Tilda Swinton was nominated for Best Supporting Actress at the Fangoria Chainsaw Awards. She lost to Leslie Esterbrooks for The Devil's Rejects. At the 2006 Young Artist Awards, Shia LaBeouf was nominated for Best Performance in a Feature Film. Supporting Young Actor, he lost to Ridge Kennep in uh, Walk the Line. And I apologize if I mess up any of these actors' names. I'm an idiot in the basement with my microphone. Um, I have zero knowledge, so I'm, I'm trying my best here. At the 2005 Golden Schmoes Awards, the film was nominated for Most Underrated Movie. It lost to Serenity. And the character of Constantine was nominated for Coolest Character. That lost to Marv from Sin City. And I kind of agree with that one. Because let's be honest, Sin City was so cool. Oh, it was so good. At the MTV Movie and TV Awards, Keanu Reeves was nominated for Best Hero. He lost to Uma Thurman in Kill Bill Volume 2. But then... Which, how can you even compare right Urban and Keanu Reeves and these roles like at the end of the day I would have taken Uma Thurman John, any day <laughs> John Constantine versus the bride although that being said now John Constantine versus the bride I kind of want to see that movie but I wonder who would win in that one very interesting I mean, How, holy shotgun. Gotta right? give some credit there <laughs> now on the other side though this film is listed on Roger Ebert's most hated list and at the Stinkers Bad Movie Awards, you mentioned Peter Stormare. He was nominated for this and the Brothers Grimm for Worst Supporting Actor. He lost to Tyler Perry in Diary of a Mad Black Woman. Now, at the box office, this film had a budget of $100 million, according to IMDb. Had a domestic gross of only $76 million and a worldwide gross of just under $231 million. So, made its money back. But that being said, when it was released on the February 18th long weekend in the U.S., 2005, it debuted at number two with $33.5 million roughly. Just a little bit behind the $36.7 million of Hitch in its second week, which... Let's be honest, Hitch, it's a Valentine's movie, and it's basically the weekend after Valentine's Day, so it kind of makes sense. And this is before Will Smith got all sloppy slap. But that being said, there were two other films that debuted that weekend. At number three was Because of Winn-Dixie. That debuted with $13 million at number three. And at number four, I can't believe I'm saying this, that it actually made some money, with $9 million, Son of the Mask. Oh, I want to forget that existed. <laughs> I think most people do, including Jamie Kennedy, but not not trying to spoil anything here, but 
in a few episodes, you might actually have a Son of the Mask episode coming on this podcast. <clears throat> Stay tuned. <clears throat> okay. Uh, however, the reason why we are here is the critics, because they suck. Over at Metacritic, this film has a meta score of 50. And over at Rotten Tomatoes, it has an audience score of 72%, but a tomatometer of 46. Which, I'm not going to lie... I'm really not surprised by that, but but the forty six percent. Your initial reaction when you hear that number? It's for me. It seems you know for the era this was in in the mid two thousands and these superhero movies. And I mean, you were familiar because you just did Ghost Rider on the on the podcast, which is I feel like fits very well into this mid two thousands. Are superhero movies worth it? Are they not? And I just. I think it was a detriment to the times it was in. I think if you release this movie in 2015, 2016, obviously get the boost in CGI, this would have been way more popular than when it was released in 05. Well, let me paint a picture here, if I may, okay? I took up a, a list of superhero and comic book films that were released in 2005, okay? Just let me go through the, the list here. On January 14th of that year, there was... Electra, and we've talked about that on this show on our Grading on a Curve Superhero Movies episode. Then it was Constantine and Son of the Mask on February 18th. On April 1st, things picked up. We had Sin City, so that was good. On April 30th, released in theaters only in Australia, that tells you already everything you need to know, was Man-Thing. Yeah. On June 3rd of that year, we had The Crow. Not the good one. We had The Crow, Wicked Prayer. And in memory serves, that had Tara Reid and Edward Furlong in it. So that tells you everything you need to know about that one. June 10th, you had The Adventures of Shark Girl and Lava Girl, which, okay, you know what? Kind of fun. All good. It's an iconic movie for this generation. Right? Batman Begins on June 15th. The Fantastic Four, July 8th. So say what you will about either one of those films. I mean, you really can't argue with Batman Begins, but there are people who do like that initial Ian Grufford, Jessica Alba version of Fantastic Four. It has its charms. It does. Absolutely. Sky it's High. It's got these nice moments. Yeah, Sky High was July 29th. A History of Violence was September 23rd. The Legend of Zorro was October 24th. And V for Vendetta was December 11th. So you're kind of ending with a bang with V for Vendetta. But, I mean, you got a real mixed grab bag of films in 2005 from from geek lore here. This actually feels better than middle ground in that collection. Yeah, I got to agree. Like, when I see, and excuse me, when I hear that list, like, there's so many worse movies than Constantine on there. And I'm just... I'm honestly a little in shock because I feel like in terms of that that year of movies, this one was just so much better in terms of character depth, in terms of writing. And I know people have their their issues with the scripting of it, but come on, like to place this in like the same metric as a lot like Electra that year. Oh, yeah. like, ugh, ugh. <laughs> now, I mean, that being said, taking a look at that list, I'd probably rank Constantine about fourth. Now, admittedly, 
I have not watched uh, a history of violence, so I can't really comment on that one. But we got Batman Begins, Sin City, and V for Vendetta. Those, to me, are the top three of that year. Constantine kind of fits around that fourth, although fighting with the Fantastic Four, because, again, it has its I'd charms. Say, yeah. I'd, I'd put that in the top five. Like I feel like those are pretty interchangeable, depending on, uh, on your fanaticism of which uh, character and IP you like, but... Yeah, I got to stick it in that top five. Yeah, it's it did well enough for comic book movies of that year. But I mean, obviously, everything's going to pale in comparison to that first Christopher Nolan Batman film. But let's get into this one here, because we are here to talk about Constantine. And let's start with the titular character as played by Keanu Reeves. How was he for you? I really liked him in this role. I mean, I love Keanu Reeves. He's one of my my go-tos. If something comes out with Keanu, I will go see it. But unbiasedly looking at this, I know people were really upset that they didn't go the, you know, comic book British blonde kind of route on here. But I just really loved the take. I felt like he fit into this role nicely. And I mean, he's coming off of the success of The Matrix in 99 and I just feel like he fits oddly well to me. And I mean, you're going to have your opinions. I know you're not super high on that. But in terms of just this loner, smoking, just kind of their character, I feel like he just did a really good job in his portrayal of him, especially with what he was given in terms of the source material and how different it was. I mean, if I went into this film not knowing the history of the Hellblazer comic book line, I'd probably really enjoy it because you're right. Keanu Reeves really can do no wrong. But the problem is the film looks bad in hindsight because of how good a job Matt Ryan does. Take take the color of the hair out of the equation. Because, I mean, I, I really don't care if it's, you know, visually comic book accurate. But the thing is the tonality of Matt Ryan's Constantine, whether it was in his own series or appearing on DC's Legends of Tomorrow or in the animated uh, DC universe uh, where he continued to do the voice of Constantine, it was done so well. And so you have to remember, this is a character created by Alan Moore. And I think Matt Ryan really nailed what Alan Moore wanted to do with this character. I would absolutely agree because Matt Ryan, especially in in the seasons when he's attached to Lucifer and that one season he got, and I want to say 2014 or 15 with Constantine, he does this really two heart portrayal. And the funny enough, Alan Moore wanted nothing to do with 2005 Constantine, nothing. He literally said to Francis Lawrence, do not put my name anywhere in the credits because he was so disappointed with how his other adaptations had done like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen where he had no desire to have his name attached to the live-action movie. You know, I liked League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. I I know it's not the best comic book movie, and I I, I have thoughts on that one too, and I'm sure somewhere, somewhere down the road we'll do an episode on that movie. But it wasn't that bad, but I understand. I mean, Alan Moore wouldn't be the first creator or writer to want nothing to do with the movie version of that which they have created. I keep flashing back to Clive Cussler and uh, his books, uh, Race the Titanic and Sahara, which were eventually made into films. And he was like actively like, yeah, don't go watch this. It sucks. And I'm the guy who wrote the original book. Like that could not have helped those movies at all. I don't think Alan Moore was, was 
as outward or as vehement as Clive Cussler was, but it it can't help. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I mean, Alan Moore is such just on a little side tangent to go on. He was such a nice guy in this scenario too, where he's like, I don't want any of my name attached to it, but he was still getting royalties as creating the character. And he took those royalties and actually split them amongst people who worked on Constantine in the film, who were up and coming directors, producers, so they could go and do their own takes on different things and kind of grow their resume. And he gave all of his royalties, split it up. And I think that's just incredible and shows that he does care about the industry, but just not in this setting, I guess at the time. I, I, I almost wish that that is how um, people would protest the, 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 for lack of a better term, bastardization of their creations, right? It's a positive protest. You know, you're not raking in the money and then dissing the film at the same time. You're taking the money, using it to better those around you and those who helped you. Like, kudos to him. But I mean, the problem is, right? Well, I, you could say so much about the Berlanti verse. Matt Ryan was was perfect as that. And you watch something like Justice League Dark or Justice League Dark Apocalypse War and he nails it. Even if it's animated, his 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 voice acting just conveys everything you you almost want out of Constantine. And Justice League Dark Apocalypse War, I don't care if you like animated films or don't like animated films, go watch that because it is a pinnacle of what DC can do if done right. And I feel like it just, once again, you put it into hands of people that care and know the material. And that's so reflected in that movie that it can be done. You just got to give it care. And I mean, on another side tangent, I'm going to say a non-comparable to that where people didn't care was um, the new Indiana Jones. Uh, I'm not going to speak on that and my disappointment there, but when you put it with people who care, unlike that movie that just came out, it will do well. You see that love, that passion come out and it just shows. And I feel like it showed exactly in that movie. I think the problem with movies today, and it's not necessarily about the movies today. It's that people are having a really hard time justifying the cost of going to the theater. And it's, the, also the fact that movies show up on streaming just months after their theatrical release, people have learned patience and that's not a good thing for the box office. I'm sure there's going to be move like when we get to movies from this year and I'm sure probably the next year before things hopefully maybe start to change, the box office is going to look horrible and it's not a justification or at least a, an indictment of the quality of the film. No, I'd completely agree with that. And it's it's honestly, I have this battle with it because as a cinephile, I want to go to these theaters and see a packed room and just that, I'm going to say quiet energy of everyone just gathering to watch a film. But on another hand, where I'm the introverted, don't talk to me type, I'm like, ah, a movie theater with no one in it. <laughs> um, but on that note, I just, I agree with you. Like, I feel like we're on an uptick and we've definitely see it, seen it in more recent films, but I definitely want to get back to that era of, of pre-COVID where theaters were just packed. Oh, yeah. I mean, you go onto YouTube and you watch the audience reaction videos of Avengers Endgame, you know, and all of a sudden you hear, you know, Cap say, Avengers, assemble. Like, and the theaters just erupt. Like, yeah, those moments are hard to come by. Um, and I say that knowing that Charlie Cox, who plays Daredevil, went to go see 
uh, No Way Home. And after hearing people were like losing their mind that he appeared and he apparently went to a theater and like no one said a damn thing. And he's like, oh, oh, I, I someone give Charlie Cox a standing applause somewhere, please. So that man deserves it of anyone. Oh, absolutely. But let's move on to Rachel Weiss as both Angela and Isabel Dotson. Um, your thoughts. So, like, I love Rachel Weiss as a as an actress. She's done some phenomenal work. But I feel like in this scenario, this is where her character kind of hems her as an actress, where I feel like you have all these really memorable characters, including Shia LaBeouf, which is surprising for a Shia LaBeouf role. But that being said, I feel like she's just considered the civilian. Like she's just kind of there as someone they can throw the plot off of in a sense of, oh, we have to explain something and she doesn't know about this world. We can use her to explain it because she doesn't know as the character. And there's some great moments with her, that I absolutely love, but I feel like overall there's just, I want more from her. And that's the thing too. Like if you watch her in the mummy, um, not only does she play a great counterpart to uh, Brendan Fraser, but she's also a, a phenomenal expositional knowledge dump for the audience as well, because her character is so knowledgeable. And the problem here is not Rachel Weiss. It's the fact that the tonality of what her character is going through is so dour that she can't be the counterpart to Keanu Reeves that she needs to be. And Keanu Reeves, as Constantine, isn't as sarcastic, or at least enjoyably sarcastic, as Matt Ryan is in that character. So it's you needed some kind of counterbalance, but it's like they both were dour as if I'm being honest. No, I would absolutely agree with that. And it's so interesting because in the original cut of the film... John, or I almost called him John Wick because that was a, a point I was going to go on is that I feel like it's John Wick playing John Constantine in a lot of ways. Um, but what I was going to say is in the original cut, Constantine had a love interest and that was the female magician Zatanna. I'm trying to think of her, her actual comic name. I'm going to go off the first name, Zatanna. And she was another underworld um, half-breed where she could be in the real world and act as a human, but was actually a half-breed in the movie. And that was a love interest in the original cut. And they eventually, and Frances Lawrence made the executive decision to cut all of her scenes out with um, uh, in the club, uh, Papa Midnight's club, because he felt like it took away John Constantine's loneliness. And I just think if that, and those scenes were in there, would it have brought almost like a better, well-rounded character to Constantine because he's not just one-dimensional in a lot of ways, you know? Well, and there's the thing, too. Like, there's Oh, by the way, um, dear listeners, we're going to spoil the f*** out of this film. So, spoilers like a mofo. Anyways, um, you've got Midnight, you know, basically saying, like, you know, tell me it's not about the girl. If we had Zatanna in this in, you know, in a way that you know, kind of humanized Constantine that way. Uh, and if, and I can't remember who they had uh, slated to to star in that role in the film, um, if they had a, a, an inkling or a look similar to Rachel Weiss, that would have made sense because, you know, he would look at Rachel Weiss, he would look at uh, at Angela, perhaps see Zatanna, and that's what, why he's, do, he's going down this road. Otherwise, it's like, yeah, well, he wants to live because he's got lung cancer. And I get that the, the lung cancer angle is 
taken from the Hellblazer comic books, but it just feels like the first half an hour, 40 minutes of this film, we're watching Constantine like hack up a lung and bemoan the fact that he smoked too much before we really yeah. get into, you know, what happened to, to Isabel, uh, where's like this story is convoluted to the point of like you sit there at times and, and I'm, I'd be curious to watch the original cut because I'm sure there's a lot of things where I sat there going, well, what the hell's going on now? that would have made a lot of sense. Yeah. And I feel like the fact that I feel like in general, the smoking plays like just this heavy narrative for the first 30 minutes, which is a little disappointing considering how much I love the opening scene where they go to the hotel and John Constantine has to do his first exorcism. And then we'd never really see that until the very end where he's got the spear of destiny and we're at the pool and he's going to get rid of Satan's son. And it's so sad because that's such a prominent part of this character. And I feel like it takes a bit of a backseat to his nicotine addiction. Yeah. I mean, at, at this point, you know, by the time you get to about half an hour in the entire character development of Constantine is guy who smokes too much, who happens to, you know, be sort of an exorcist and now he's going to die because he did smoke too much. Oh, by the way, Rachel Weiss is trying to find out why someone who looks a lot like her, it, it got killed. Like what? Literally. <laughs> yeah. Literally. It's so back and forth. It almost needs a plot simplification or more motivation for the two main characters, which is not exactly the way you want to do a film. Even the way, um, like Rachel Weiss and Keanu Reeves meet in the movie where she's meets him leaving the elevator and at the crime scene. I feel like if there was just a more specific reason when they met, like, Hey, you're known around here as like the John Constantine, which is referenced and, and talked about throughout the movie. Uh, my sister, I believe had these issues, demons, whatever. And you're the only one I could go to. Like, I feel like if we had a more direct reason why the two characters were put together, that would also help just flesh out the film well i mean there's the scene where she's looking at the security footage uh of her sister uh going over the edge of the building and she looks at the camera and says constantine and then like you know it doesn't happen again and of course she heard shia labeouf call out constantine's name but to that point though if constantine was this world-renowned you know exorcist and um manipulator of the occult it might feel a little like Ghostbusters at that point. So I, I almost don't hate that. Like, you know, someone like That's Constantine fair. is not going to advertise. Yeah. And you know what? We don't need Isabel going to find the key master. So that is fair. I can, I can definitely respect that. And I just feel like there's more that we could have gotten in that, that first act to flesh out everything in general. It felt very point A, point B, point C. Like, there's so many sets they're in in just the first 30 minutes. It's so bouncy that I just feel like if we got a bit of a, a steady stream of narrative, it would just be a little easier of why is Constantine now in this kind of low part of his life? We never really understand that either. We just know him as he used to be the John Constantine at one point, but now he's just in this almost depressive state. And I mean... Even before we find out that he has lung cancer, which is very obvious the first moment you see the man step out of the taxi, um, there's just not a whole lot of development, you know? I'm just trying to picture Rachel Weisz going, there is no Isabel, only Zool. 
Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Um, but let's, you know, let's get to the, the, the side cast, because this is where I think this movie does shine and could be reworked a little bit. 100, 100%. Let's talk about Chaz as played by Shia LaBeouf. Criminally underrated, in my opinion. If I'm looking at movies that Shia LaBeouf was in that like kickstarted his career. And I mean, you look at Holes and Transformers a little later. Oh my goodness. I just felt like this fits so well. Like you have this young nerdy kid that's we have no backstory of, which is a little disappointing. But I mean, considering the narrative of this film that we don't even have backstory on the main character a whole lot. I'm not surprised. That being said, he's just I don't know. I love his presence in the movie. I love that he's not like puppy dogging John, but he's just this like helpful sidekick in a way. And I like I think of like short round and Indiana Jones to bring that back where it's like he just fits really well as a child actor. And he's not just there for the sake of being there. And he just adds to the story really nicely for me. I think I I agree that he was underused in this. And the problem with that is that when he eventually, eh, spoiler alert, when he dies, right, it you kind of feel not as much as you should because he is underdeveloped. The thing is, he was recommended to this film, I think, through Akiva Goldsman, who worked on iRobot, and he was in that with Will Smith. I enjoyed that film. But the thing is, iRobot didn't take for granted that you knew the Isaac Asimov books. This film takes for granted that you are going to do your Constantine Hellblazer research before you go to the theaters. Absolutely, it does. And I think that's the biggest weight it carries. Yeah. I mean, I agree. Shia LaBeouf was perfect for the role. The role should have been bigger because in that sense, Shia LaBeouf humanizes Constantine the way that Angela should, considering the amount of screen time that she gets, and he doesn't. Yeah, I can absolutely get behind that. It it is a little disappointing in that sense that... Every time I do re- like, I watch this movie every year around Halloween. It's one of my like Halloweeny go tos. Um, 
And every time I watch it, I just get a little more disappointed in the fact that the world just isn't built up as much as it should be. And I think that just relates entirely to every side. I'm not even say side character, every supporting cast member and character we see. Yeah. Oh, I mean, especially when you get to Jamon Hansu as Papa Midnight, like, oh, which is brutally underused criminally, just criminally. I mean, he is suave as hell in this film. And I love the connection between him and Shia LaBeouf near the end where it's like, yeah, I like this guy kind of thing. Like, it's great. Like, it's it's just waited too long to use it. And it's disappointing it did. Because I would have loved if he was more of a mainstay throughout the movie. And I mean, every scene he's in, he just commands your presence and your attention. Like, it's so good. He's such a great actor. It was such a good role. I'm, I mean, I'm going to say the same thing about him Jamon Hansu, as I'm going to eventually say about Tilda Swinton, so spoiler alert. But the thing about Midnight is that he's played in a way that you're not quite sure whose side he's on, and that makes for a wonderful play when he's dealing with Keanu Reeves. So there's this one point where he's like literally got him by the rib cage and lifting him up. And I'm like, and then he eventually helps him. I'm like, okay, this is the kind of character that straddles the line of good and evil. Considering Constantine himself walks that line on a regular basis, you you love that dynamic and the am, the ambiguity about some of these characters. Yeah, and I mean the fact even when you look back to one of the first scenes, I think it was one of the uh, the second times he was in Midnight's the Bar, and uh, Papa Midnight blows Constantine off essentially to talk to Balthazar when he comes in, which we'll get to a little later too in uh, in Gavin Rossdale's character. And it's just, you see this really interesting duality between I knew who you were, John Constantine, before now, and I want more of that. Right. You could always tell the quality of a film by the quality of the side characters and how they make you question the morality of the main character through through the side character morality. Midnight is that perfect example. Because if he's helping... Constantine but he's a little sus does that not make Constantine sus and then it's like okay well he's also welcoming in Balthazar well now who really is like that's the beauty part of it have these ambiguous moral compass characters and that makes the the movie more complex yeah I absolutely agree and I honestly wish that Midnight had the screen time that Pruitt Taylor Vince did as Father Hennessy because like he, Father Hennessy was a was a fine character for me. He didn't honestly do a whole lot. In all honesty, he was kind of a plot device. But oh, if he could have just gotten the screen time that Father Hennessy did, oh, would have been so much better. I'm glad you mentioned Father Hennessy as played by Pruitt Taylor Vince. There were aspects of his character that I thought were really really cool, like the being able to as you hear him speed reading through the whole thing and kind of feeling for the story that he's looking for this, these are cool aspects to characters. Um, and then his death is super cool. Like you watch it and you, you see how you're not quite certain what's going on. You're not quite sure if it's real. And it's a very interesting thing to watch. Uh, especially as it's being you know witnessed by Balthazar at the time, and you have all of a sudden you realize, oh, okay, he's doing this to him. We get it now. Um, but again, it's one of those characters that when they die, 
if they don't mean as much to the main character, why do I care that they're dead? Exactly. And I mean, Keanu Reeves could have given a little more emotion in that scene, I would think. Because you see the emotion come out a little bit more when Chaz dies at the very end. But from what I've gathered, like those uh, Father Hennessy and Constantine were, were partners in a way for a long time. So like just for him to walk into the liquor store, which was just, as you said, a really cool and unique scene, in my opinion, especially for a death scene, and just be like, oh, man, anyway, let me look at your hand. Right. Like, I just feel like I'm missing some emotion there. I mean, we get he's a loner. We get he's this dark exorcist that keeps to himself and he has these troubled thoughts, but like he's got to still have emotion for these characters and for the people in his life. No, I think that's why Reeves as Constantine in this film, I I don't gel with because there's a lot of times when, yeah, he could show a little bit more emotion. We could see, you know, some kind of connection with the characters around him, even if he is in a really bad spiral because of the lung cancer. Like, yeah, he goes around and mopes a lot and like he does things and you're like, why the hell are you doing this? Is this a distraction to what you're going through at the time? You know, are the other characters concerned uh, for his condition? Like there's a lot more that could be in this film as opposed to all these very cool visuals and I, and I I have to give the director kudos to this but there's so much more character development that would have made this a better film but let's talk about Gavin Rosdale as Balthazar um of which as I'm watching uh the scene where where his face is kind of blown apart all I can picture is got a mache head it's better than the rest uh if you listen to Bush <laughs> You know what I'm talking about here. Um, But how was he for you? I enjoyed him. I don't know if like he didn't make or break the movie for me by any means, but as a, as an actor choice and as the character he portrayed, like he owned it and you could, and you saw that and you felt that, which was really nice to speak, nice to see, especially considering the main character doesn't have a lot of emotion. I feel like we got more emotion from Satan's son than we did the main character. And I feel he just really, once again, similar to Midnight, he just really commanded your presence when he was on the screen. And that's what I love about supporting roles. Yeah. By the way, this is not Gavin Rossdale's first movie. He had an uncredited role in Zoolander, but he also played random in Little Black Book. So there were movies before this, but I'm not going to lie. You know, as I see him on the screen, I'm like, holy it's Gavin Rossdale from Bush, um, and it's almost the perfect role for his, for lack of a better term, rock star persona. Because let's be honest, most rock stars have that onstage persona, and this kind of plays into that. But as a red herring, I think Rossdale is actually better because he's not the big bad. He's just like the mid-level boss that you got to fight before you get to the, the final stage. Um, I love the fact that he's... he. His entire job, walk around, look sus, be cool. He understood the assignment and he did it. Exactly. He's, I'm trying to think of a comparable and the only one that's coming to mind, and this is a much, much bigger actor, is Mads Mikkelsen, where no matter who he's playing, he just knows what he signed up for and he does it well. And I feel like in this example, Gavin Rossdale just does it really well. Oh, absolutely. And that's the thing. He fits the tonality of the film. 
you know, I'm surprised we actually didn't hear more Bush in the film because that would been like, okay, there's Bush in the soundtrack, whatever. But I'm kind of glad that we didn't because then it would have felt like a Gavin Rossdale vehicle as opposed to a Keanu Reeves in a DC film that just happens to have the guy from Bush. So I'm kind of glad about that. It's not like he was in a band or anything. It was just He just played Balthazar. And it was very... It, not nowhere near as good because the actor I'm about to mention, I hold up as like a pinnacle of awesomeness. But I could see David Tennant if they were to make this film now. David Tennant as Balthazar would be phenomenal. I could absolutely see that. He's got just that, I, I don't want to say eerie vibe, but he's just got that owning of his role. And even when Doctor Who was around and how he did that, like you just see it. Like you see that he just conforms to whatever role he's in. And he's just got that sharpness and that look that I can totally see what you're saying. Oh, absolutely. But but then again, I will I will basically vouch as you know, David Tennant can play anything. Oh yeah, easily. You know, you watch stage, he plays David Tennant and he's awesome at it. Um but let's talk about Max Baker, who played Beeman. Um Oh, so under this is the one I will die by. This is one of the most underrated characters in DC, I'm gonna say it right now. Hot take right here God, i loved his role so much and it wasn't big it wasn't flashy but he was so enjoyable to watch for me i'm gonna draw a comparable here if i may beeman in this film is ned in the mcu spider-man films he is in essence yes. the guy in the chair he's the guy that helps things get done and when he dies oh that my makes God. sense this is- it does, and yet it pisses me off because, once again, he's the one that when he dies, I'm arguably the most upset over because, once again, as we've been saying, this consistency, John Constantine isn't that seemingly upset. And I'm like, that. I was more upset. The other thing that I will say to that is that you see how fast he rushes to get to Beeman because he knows that Beeman is in trouble. So in that sense, I think he's trying to compartmentalize the reality of it because, you know, you have to think the danger is looming, but at least we see the attempt to save his friend. So do you think that Francis Lawrence maybe committed to the loner-esque vibe of John Constantine too much in this situation? As we've now seen, we'll see three deaths prominently from the supporting characters and the most emotion he shows is easily Chaz at the end. But do you think he maybe, le- as a director, leaned into that darker tone too much to where it stripped the resonating emotion from John Constantine? I think you take a look at movies in 2005. You know, And again, I'm just going to point right to Sin City. Even though it came out afterwards, you still had other movies that, that played on that moodiness. Of course, Electra came out right before it as well. Um, but that being said... I think it was one of those things where Francis Lawrence took the moodiness that you get in rock band video vibes and applied it to Constantine. Whereas missing the point that Constantine kind of is a sarcastic ass. And yeah. does this isn't played up for, right? You can make the guy enjoyable and difficult to deal with both at the same time and it can work 
And I, ju- I just wish, I wish that this was the film that they, you know, did some tweaks to the script kind of thing. Because, you know, not going to lie, even though it's a decent film, it could use some massaging in the plot department. Give it to Matt Ryan and play upon that characterization. And I think it works better than because then, like right now, you've got Rachel Weiss and Keanu Reeves trying to out moody each other. If Rachel oh, Weiss is trying to find what happened to her sister and you got Matt Ryan's Constantine being snarky and sarcastic and just as good as he is, that makes this film fun. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like the only real Matt Ryan vibe we get from from Keanu Reeves is when they first see each other in the hospital and Keanu Reeves gets into the elevator and she's running saying, hold the door. And he's like, oh, sorry, not enough room. And then just goes down. There's like two other people in the elevator. Yeah, I feel like that's really the only snarkiness and like straight from the comic character nuance we get from Keanu Reeves, which is disappointing. Yeah. Let's move on to Tilda Swinton, who played Gabriel. Uh, How was she for you? I really enjoyed every scene she was in. I thought the character of Gabriel was really well done. I thought it was a unique take. And it just every time, once again, I'm going to say it, every time she was on screen, I just felt myself watching closer because I felt she just did such an incredible job. And I mean, when we see her first in, was it the library or the church, church library, and we see John Constantine approach the fireplace and you see her wings come out, I just thought it was such a cool and unique scene and how they portray the angels in this universe. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's the thing. You have her playing a character that, again, is morally ambiguous. You're not quite sure whose side she's on. You know, it's which the whole- is great to me. If I may cut you off, sorry, yeah. just because I feel like Gabriel is always depicted as this right hand of God, right, in terms of the Bible and what we read, and it's just this ambiguous, unknown, almost anti-hero. And I mean, anti-hero by far at the end of the film. But it's just such a unique take that I think she really nailed. Oh, it's that whole scene where where Keanu is trying to explain why he wants another chance because of the, you know because of this lung cancer, and you know she's like, "You're dying young because you smoked X number of packs a day. You're going to hell because of the life that you took." You're, and it's just like that's such a brilliant delivery to the line because she's so close and so intimate, yet being so blunt. And so, like, deadpan about it. Like, that's, that is the acting that you need in this. And picture her saying that to Matt Ryan's Constantine and what the snapback would be or the remark and that vibe you could have gotten. I feel like that's definitely missed in scenes with her. Exactly. You, you needed Matt Ryan's characterization and you needed to add a little cowboy bebop, I think, to this. Absolutely. I 100% agree with you. Now, we need to talk about the nominee for Worst Supporting Actor that year, Peter Stormare as Satan. Oh, I just, how could you, how do you not like Satan in this role? It was a unique take. He was just so into it, and I loved it. I loved it so much, and I know I've said that about a few characters now. But oh, when he comes down from the ceiling, from floats down, I'll say, and there's the oil dripping off of him, 
and he sits down with with John Constantine and they're talking and he just pulls the chair up and you can see how amused he is and how stoked he is. He's like, huh, you're mine now, finally. I just, oh, it's such a brilliant portrayal for me. I'm going to argue you on this one here. But but Let's but, do it. but but hear me out on this one. Yes, his introduction is great. Yes, the mood of the introduction is great. But then he chooses to play Satan in the way that he does, which kind of reminds me of John Leguizamo in the live action Spawn film. And it's it to me, it feels so tonally out of character with everyone else in the film. And while that works in a sense, it feels like all of a sudden it's at a left field and you're not quite sure how you're supposed to feel about this scene, right? Here he is goofing with with Constantine in a very sadistically playful kind of way, but no one else is like that in this. I think for me, and I totally can totally appreciate what you're saying, if Balthazar and Gavin Rossdale was a little more quote-unquote his son in the movie as it's as it's said i feel like that dynamic would have worked a little better it's just interesting having his son be this much sterner straighter just straight to the narrow kind of i am the son of satan and you know it and then satan comes in and he's like playing with his hands and he's messing with john constantine's lighter and it's just it definitely is off-putting i feel like there's just a miss in terms of character to character kind of continuity if that makes sense I think if we had if we had had a scene, you know, as, you know, just before Balthazar is completely gotten rid of, if we just had this this scene where where Satan was like, you know, this is why you fail. You don't have any fun with the situation. Like that line alone would set up Satan's personality in relation to Balthazar, and then make the reveal of Satan at the end that much better. But we Absolutely. don't get it. It's it's out of the field, and we don't, especially because Balthazar is so so serious, and Papa Midnight is you know while a little bit more suave, still very serious. Gabriel is very serious in a in a you know very interesting delivery, but not funny. This yeah, I never thought I would compare the two comparables in this kind of emotion to Chaz and Satan. <laughs> I just I feel like that's those are the two that are like witty and I don't know if I would have I would have chosen that style for this movie but the thing is with Chaz it makes sense because he's eager he's happy to help Constantine he wants to learn from the guy you know it's it's he's a positive attitude compared to Constantine's moody AF vibe and that dynamic plays well again had we established Satan in that one scene, you only needed the one scene with Balthazar just as he's about to die um, to establish the personality of Satan, then it's not that big a deal. Yeah, I can definitely see what you're saying. No, I can definitely appreciate that. And there's just, there's definitely the duality of you get serious and then you quickly flip. And I mean, maybe I'm a little blinders on because I'm so used to modern superhero movies not being able to take themselves seriously in a lot of ways where there'll be such a serious event and then Tony Stark will just say something funny and out of place where I'm just like maybe it fits in my in my brain now but I just I felt it was such a, a unique take on Satan that it just it worked well for me but I understand what you're saying 
I'm 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 gonna put this out there. And I'm glad you pointed up, uh, you know, Iron Man and and the the quippiness of the MCU. And obviously, in 2005, we're getting much moodier kind of superhero films. You're getting V for Dent for Vendetta. You're getting Sin City, and that starts to set a trend in the moodiness of things. But I I, I just wonder if the MCU, as big as it has been, if it's skewered the way we look at films. And because, I mean, what's the biggest complaint about DCU, right? Bef- you know, before the, the reset here, you know, Marvel comes out, dominates the landscape, right? With Iron Man and then everything afterwards, right? And then, DC, you know, uh, Man of Steel comes out and people are like, okay, this isn't bad. Then Batman versus Superman comes out and it's so dark. It's just so dark, you know? And then you get Shazam. It's like, oh, now in Justice League and, and everyone's quipping and making jokes, you know? And it's like comic book audiences figure out what the hell you want and stop switching your mind no absolutely and i mean i've always considered and i mean maybe this is just uh me looking back at my era of of dc which was bringing up or coming uh of age with batman begins dark knight and that era but i've always viewed dc as a darker just vibe in general i've always in turn felt marvel was the quippier funnier more lighthearted, and still great movies but i always always considered dc just on the darker side and like i said maybe that's just my blinders with batman and what i was brought up on but i just feel like they had to pick something and stick with it i agree i i the thing is i don't think it's a problem with the tonality of this film but you need to make tweaks like right now, you have Keanu Reeves as a one-tone John Constantine, right? He's he's moody and he's dying and he doesn't like it, and he's begrudgingly doing everything that 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 comes his way, almost as a distraction. That it's not exactly the biggest character depth. Yeah, he gives me the vibes of like a depressed office worker that just is waiting for his next smoke break. <sighs> uh, yeah. And and th- that's the thing. There could be more character development there. And then Satan kind of fits the bill. But because Keanu Reeves and Rachel Weiss are both so one note in this film, and this is not their fault. This is the script and the director who was going for a tone, and the tone made Satan seem out of context. And out of place. I totally, totally agree with that. Okay. One thing I want to point out, though. I have in the past and on on episodes in this podcast ripped on CGI that does not stand the test of time. Here, I, I give full kudos to them. A lot of the effects that they used in this still stands. And then he goes to hell. And that's where, for me personally, it just takes this left turn. Everything in the real world, I think the CGI is really well done in. And then I feel like he goes to the full green screen where he goes to hell. And it just, that is when it threw me off. Well, I mean, as I'm doing my research and preparing for this episode, you know, and you read the the mind space or the headspace that they're in as they're developing the underworld and their frame of reference was the aftermath of the nuclear bomb test site in the U.S., which yeah. a lot of people are about to watch in Oppenheimer. But it's, it's that, you know, 
explosion windswept hellscape that was created from the explosion that was their frame of reference for how they were going to depict hell and knowing that knowing that they nailed it I, that I would agree with. If you put that scene in today's CGI, I would have been so for it. I think it's probably just the mid-2000s PS2 level CGI that definitely, definitely messed with me. But what I'll, uh, I'll rebuttal and ask you is, do you know what the original landscape for Hell was supposed to be? I'd be... Oh, no, I do remember this one because it was supposed to be like this this almost like glistening black floor kind of thing. Yeah, and, and, and oil I, almost spill looking yeah, situation. Which would make sense when Satan is revealed because there's a lot of yeah. that black tar-like stuff on his exactly. feet. So it's almost like they were originally going to do it and that's why they put the tar on his feet and then they couldn't do it and they couldn't remove the tar off the feet in post-production. I think hell was perfectly done i love the frame of reference you have to think that using a, a you know for lack of a better term a man-made hellscape as a frame of reference for it makes sense especially if you watch terminator 2 judgment day you know in that scene where sarah connor is having her flash forward i guess if you will of the the nuclear explosion that's about to happen like that makes sense as hell yeah i honestly you're convincing me more of it because when I rewatched it recently to prepare, I was like, ah, it doesn't it doesn't do it for me. But when you add more context to it, and when I did my research as well and came across that fact about how they were using the uh, the post nuke test site as a as a vibe for it, I did get behind it more. I felt like I knew what they were trying to do and were just hammed by the technology at the time. So I definitely came around to it more as I watched it. Yeah, I, I think if they went with this dark void of a place kind of thing it would feel more uh, you know akin to maybe you know under the skin starring scarlett johansson or with a uh, um you know when ray goes into the cave and that's the last exactly Jedi, what i was you know, just thinking yeah like give us something that feels like hell and and this kind of feels more like that drag me to hell with allison loman film um like make hell feel like it's a bad place to be yeah, and ex- like even when you look at the one scene I love in Hell is when it pans down. So so Keanu Reeves is on the street and he's walking, and then the camera lowers to almost under the streets, and you just see the demons on top of the humans, and like this just horrendous, horrific looking scene of what Hell was depicted as in like ancient texts and paintings, where it's just this horrendous man eat man demon eat man i guess in this scenario world and i feel like that was captured really well in that small scene it got yeah and that's like like when when constantine goes to hell and then comes back with the uh with the hospital bracelet uh, that he got from isabel and he's got smoke coming off his jacket and all that that makes sense in the way they depicted hell if he went to this dark void of a of a jedi cave like from star wars or star wars 8 the smoke would not have made sense Exactly. And I personally feel like it just would have taken away from the gravitas of him being destined for hell because it just wasn't as gruesome, I'll say. Yeah. And Angela keeps on referencing the smell of sulfur. You know, you can almost see the sulfur in their depiction of hell. So and again, like all of their their CGI still holds. It doesn't feel like a dated film, um, even though. It could be better. But now I'm going to ask you, before we get to our MVP, this film has a 46% rating for reasons, obviously, the critics have found. How can you 
envision this to be a better film? Like, what would you change? Oh, that is a loaded question. Um, It's so tough because as much as I love Keanu Reeves, I do feel like in ways he does hold back the film from being its full potential. But I love the man so much that I just feel like in my world, it's like I just love the movie for him. But at the same time, I feel like he takes away from it. If you put Matt Ryan in place of Keanu Reeves and had Matt Ryan do his thing from modern times, Constantine, I feel like this is an easy 20% bump in the tomato meter in all honesty. Well, because that would make Rachel Weiss's portrayal of Angela and Isabel um, a bit more relatable because she's trying to get this sarcastic ass to to help her out. That would have, and it definitely, Matt Ryan's portrayal of Constantine versus Peter Stormare's portrayal of Satan, you could almost see the two, you know, because obviously they're going to know each other. Right. So you could almost see the parallel between the two and the, the, the banter between those two would have been much more fun. Like, yeah, just put Matt Ryan in it. And and what I sorry, continue. And this is someone who does like you like Keanu, but put Matt Ryan in this one. Exactly. And what I will ask you is, do you feel like if in this makeshift scenario, that Tom Ellis was Lucifer Satan instead of Peter Stormare. Do you think it would have worked better? You know what? If Tom Ellis is Satan against Keanu Reeves, it works. If Matt Ryan is Constantine, you know, against Peter Stormare, it works. And I think it works in those combinations, but it doesn't work in this. Like I I I although that being said, Matt Ryan and Tom Ellis sign i mean me we saw up. it once yeah i mean i think there was an episode of of constantine from the one season it got where he meets tom ellis as lucifer briefly if i'm if i'm correct and i just remember watching that scene on youtube and being like this is a really interesting dynamic but i definitely see what you're saying i could easily see tom ellis being a reflection of keanu reeves and matt ryan being the reflection of peter Stormare. I feel like this episode is the Matt Ryan appreciation thread, and I'm kind of here for it. It honestly is. Yeah, honestly. I do love it. (laughs) Okay, so it is now time. So, Carson, uh, who is your MVP of Constantine? Oh, is it bad if I do want to say B-Man? Like, is it bad that that part of me is just so there? Max Baker. But at the end of the day, like, if I had to choose someone more prominent, I got to go with Jamon Hansu. Like I just, every scene he's in, I just adore. And I feel like he's just done a little dirty with the screen time he got. He, him and Tilda Swinton are pretty close, uh, but I got to give him the edge just in terms of Papa Midnight is the man. That's the man right there. See, I find it funny that you mentioned Tilda Swinton because she's my MVP on this one. I do agree that Max Baker was very good in this. The entire supporting cast is very good right? in this. Is it bad that I think the supporting pa- cast might be better than the star in the movie? <laughs> I, again, I think if you take the film, you give the supporting cast like more character development, less CGI Bs, and I think you've got a much better film. 
I can absolutely get behind that. All right, Carson, I know you've got something in the works. So when that launches, you got to come back here and promote what you got. But we'll, we'll wait. We'll hold off onto it. But I will thank you so much for dropping in and let you know, getting me to actually watch this film for the first time. I did actually, as much as I've been ripping on it a little bit, I do think it is better than the 46% it, it gets from critics. I'm more in line with a 66, 65% but it could exactly yeah exactly it's it it shouldn't qualify at all but it does and i'm glad you you brought it to the show now to you our listeners you guys know the drill if there is a movie out there that you think is unfairly maligned or is so bad that there's no way in heck you can do we can find anything good to say about it I would say hit us up on Twitter, and you can still try and do that, but Twitter seems to be really funky as of late, but we're still going to be there at Not That Badcast. You can also find us on Instagram and Spoutable with the same handle, or go to our website at notthatbadcast.com. We're going to be blogging a lot more and letting you know of some of the movies that we are uh, getting ready to talk about, so please bookmark the site subscribe to any updates so you know what we're working on because we want to hear from you guys look twitter is a crap show right now um and we don't know how long it's going to last but make sure you follow us at other social media platforms and go to our website until next time carson thank you so much i'm jason this is it's not that bad listeners you guys are lovely take care It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.